Yeah, God, we thank you that we are able to come here, that we're able to freely worship you and to lift our eyes up to you. And God, we thank you for the, the stories of answered prayer, the stories of you at work, and we thank you that you are, you're always working for our good Jesus. And God, we pray for Ben as he speaks to us tonight. We just pray that you would fill him with your spirit now, that he would just speak with, with boldness and, and courage, um, and that your spirit would just be speaking through him this evening. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Could you give me that mic? Thank you. Just swapping microphones, James, if that's okay. Thank you. I hope so. everybody. Hello. Good evening, everyone. Lovely to see you all. Thank you so much for your warm welcome. Um, as I said at the beginning, we're starting our new series tonight called Foundations, and we're going to be looking at eight kind of key theological principles of the Christian faith, and um, I'm kicking us off with creation and fall. There's a tiny disclaimer, which is pretty big actually, that I want to say about the Anglican Church. This is an Anglican Church. You may not identify as Church of England, that's fine. But um, you will find out that you can't Google like a profession of faith, or this is exactly what we believe to be a signed up member of an Anglican. You can find it for other denominations, that's fine, uh, but that is not going to be my angle. I think theology is really exciting. I think it's similar to a butterfly. If you pin it down, it might as well just be dead. I think it's exciting, it's living, it speaks to us. And that includes scripture, our relationship with God. If we believe in a creator God, I think we need to be creative. So, creation and the fall. I'm going to start with creation. And... Um, before we go any further again, I've got another disclaimer. It's just so you can't write in all angry. Not that you do. But fundamentally, theology is looking at not the how stuff happens, but why has it happened? Why did creation take place? Not necessarily how. Cards on the table. I've got no issue with the Big Bang Theory, both the TV series and the scientific discovery. Um, for those who have an issue with it, having theory at the end, if you look into it in science, it doesn't mean they're not sure about it. It's just a title for it. So that's where I'm coming at, just so I'm aware. I think God is involved, definitely. Um, but creation, I found this quote by George Herbert, who was this amazing country parson, country vicar. And he says this, um, A man that looks of glass, on it may stay his eye, or if he pleaseth, through it pass, and then the heaven espy. So what am I talking about? I'll, I'll say it plainly in Yorkshire for you. 
You'll be aware that we've got windows here, and you've got an option. You can either look at the glass, spot the bird poo, spot the dried on rain, spot the beer can, the spilled stuff. You can focus on the glass, or you can choose to look through the glass, where you can see, well, even here, we've got a tree, we've got people going by, we've got a beautiful sky, there's clouds, we've got a church opposite us, there's all sorts going on. We have a choice of how we look at the world. And I think the crux for us as Christians, people exploring faith, if that's where you are, the starting question for me is, do we believe that the universe is personal or impersonal? Is it personal or is it impersonal? So I thought I'd start uh, with Genesis chapter 1. It's always a good place to start. So you've all got Bibles there. Those making notes, I'll try and say the references properly so you understand what I'm saying. Um, And basically, we have the creation story. Over six days, on the seventh day, God rested. Which kind of means like God sat and appreciated what he had made. There's a strong evidence that the Jewish story of creation is a way to combat the violent creation stories around in their time. So there's an absolute banging story if you fancy reading it. And it's the Babylonian Enuma Elish. And that is the Babylonian's understanding of how the world was created. So just for those of you who don't know, I'll do the Genesis one first. And then we can see if we can spot the difference between the Babylonian creation story and the Christian Jewish one. So in the beginning, God started creating. Light was created. The sky was created. Dry land, seas, plants, and trees were created. The sun, moon, and stars were created. Creatures that live in the sea and creatures that fly were created. Animals that live on the land and then finally humans made in the image of God were created. God finished his work of creation, rested, making the seventh day a special holy day. A Sabbath, and he called it good. Called his creation good. The Babylonian Enuma Elish. It is a story about a highly dysfunctional divine family engaged in a major power struggle at the dawn of time. The heart of the story is where the god Marduk kills his nemesis, Tiamat, and then fillets her body in two making the sky out of one half and the earth out of the other. Thus, Marduk claims the throne as the high god in the pantheon. So there you are. You've either got the classic seven pictures we saw at Sunday school for those who went, or you've got Marduk, who kills his nemesis, Tiamat, fillets her body, that means, you know, cuts it pretty much in two, and makes the sky out of it and then the earth out of the other. The Jews are fighting against this idea of violence. So I'm going to try and do some drawing, which might be an absolute car crash. But I want to draw for you what Genesis 1 looks like. Because the thing is, we can read it, but you need to think, what does it look like? So I'm going to start. Are you ready? I'm left-handed as well. This could be horrendous. But I wanted to do it, and I'm insistent. So first of all, Sweaty back. All oh, right, I think I've got a sweaty back. That's, that's true as well. <laughs> I am aware. 
So first of all, God starts creating. There's light, and it was created, and then there's sky. So to start with, we've got this earth at the bottom. We've got the sky there, kind of like this dome shape, if you like. So what's appertaining here? Oh, you're doing that. That's fine. I'll keep moving so you can all see. So we've got that going on there. So second day, the sky's created, and then we start with dry land, and we've got sea, and then we start getting trees Trees are really exciting because you actually just do loads of little sheep and bad bread and sticks underneath. So you've got that there. And I've got different colours. Let's use them. Might have like a stream coming down here. Looks a bit like the Nile. It doesn't. Got this. Then we've got like a lovely, let's say this is, uh, that's the Sea of Galilee because it's roughly that shape. And then we move on to the fourth day. We have the sun, the moon, and the stars. I'm rubbish at drawing these. So I'll do the sun up here. Shall I put some sunglasses on? Did they exist back then? It was really angry. Sun, and then there's the moon, and then there's little twinkle, little star. <laughs> Stars there. So that's what it looks like. And on the fifth day, he made creatures. going to go red. Crazy. some animals. What do you think it is? Should have gone for a snake. I'll take a horse. Do you think it's a horse? I love it. I was trying to do a deer, but it's fine. Animals. They're gathered in a a herd, so you can't really see it very well. And it just happens to be that there's red fish as well, because I didn't get any more colours out. Six day, so we've got uh, creatures that live in the sea and creatures that fly, so they birds as well. <laughs> there we are, classic Vs, not swearing, the Vs that make them look like flying birds. And then finally, there were people. Doing a little dance. I don't know why I did three. <laughs> they had a lot of time in Eden. Right. So when you, look, when you look at this picture, first of all, you think it's just terrible. But the fact is, when I first saw this drawn for me, how they saw it, I'm a bit of a Disney nerd. And the first thing I saw was when Simba is being spoken to by Mufasa of Pride Rock. He says, Simba. Everything the light touches is part of our kingdom. And then Simba says, what about the dark part over there? You must never go there. We know it. That's pointless. The fact is, this is a story that you can tell to young and old. The fact is, I've just referenced Lion King, and most of you knew it. You recognized it. And that is the idea of creation. It's saying, God made this. I will sit here with my son, with my children, and we will look out, and we will say, I mean, you could do it here. It wouldn't be as great because there's a lot of rock. It's, oh, God created this, God created that. What's even more amazing is there's tiny little clever things that the Bible does. Did anyone notice that God made the sun and the moon? Because if you think of other religions, we find that there are sun gods, there are moon gods, Even now, at the back of most newspapers, you can read horoscopes where apparently the stars can tell you what your week's going to be like. But we say, no, 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 God made the stars. God has ultimate authority. 
We might talk about having the spirit of animals. And I'm not knocking other religions, other beliefs. I know it sounds like that, but it's not my bag. But we still remember that God made them. You tree huggers, God made them. You people who like to go swimming in cold water, God made that. The fact is, we look, when we read Genesis 1, at a creation that God made all of it. Everything is there. What I love is if you read Genesis chapter 2, we move close to this idea of a personal universe. I don't know if you ever noticed, but chapter 2 of Genesis kind of starts the other way around. We start in the middle with the people being made, and then God provides for them. He provides the food, he provides the cover, he provides the water. All those things because God loves us. I heard this rabbinic saying, it's like a rabbinic practice, where they have two pieces of paper, one in each pocket. And on one it says, I come from the dust. So we remember in Genesis, it talks about being formed out of the dust and God breathing into us. But then on the other piece of paper, it says, the universe was made for me. And that can sound really arrogant if I think that just applies to me. But it doesn't. It applies to each and every one of us. Each of us start with Genesis 1, where it zooms out, where we come from the dust we made on the sixth day. And each of us had it made for us, where we start in the middle and God provides for us on the outside. So this idea of a relationship, we actually were singing it. And that's what I find funny with our worship songs is we actually find that we sing our theology, especially in more contemporary churches like ours. And the ultimate relationship that we worship, that we acknowledge, is the Trinity. So I know it's a mystery. I know anything I say will probably be wrong. But I think we can all agree that the Trinity is made of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the fact is, it's constantly moving. It's constantly in relationship. And what I love as well, in the, in the early church, they used to refer to it as the divine dance. This idea that they're interchanging with each other, they're moving, they're involved in our lives in different ways. What I love about the Trinity is that it all, I feel like it all looks through the lens of Jesus. So we know what the Father's like because of Jesus. We know when we pray after this and over the bread and the wine and for each other, for the Holy Spirit, that it is going to be like Jesus. Because it is Jesus, but it isn't Jesus, but it is Jesus, but it isn't Jesus. Then just kind of keep doing that multiplication because that's the kind of theology. But out of that, we have a creation made out of a relationship and for me, regardless of if you take Genesis literally or not, I think that that is why I believe it is a personal universe. It's a creation where God loves us and wants to know us more. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says this about Jesus. It says, all things made for slash to the Son. So all things are made for and towards the sun, towards Jesus. And the writer uh, who I was reading, who was quoting that, said it's like how some flowers turn towards the sun. Turn towards sunlight is how creation turns to Christ. I don't know if you've ever noticed in the beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 1, it says in the beginning. 
was the Word. Have you ever noticed that John chapter 1 has the same start as Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning? It's all very deliberate. It's not by accident. The actual translation, which is one of my favorite words, actually, is just in beginning. It doesn't say the, because the can sound like it might be in the beginning of last week, in the beginning of that other time this happened. But it actually just says in beginning. In the very first beginning, in beginning, is where God spoke creation into life. And you may be familiar with the word logos. Those who aren't logos in John's gospel. So logos, anyone know what it means? Word, excellent. It means word, but it means more than just like a French word, an English word. This is the part that blows my mind, and I apologize if I blow yours. But the Christian understanding of creation is, when God opened his mouth and said, let there be dot, 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 those words are the logos. Those words are Christ Jesus, who we worship now, involved in creation. Those of you who've done Alpha will know that it speaks of the Spirit hovering above the waters during creation. They are all there. And again, for me, that is why it's personal. The very words that came out of God's mouth were Christ. If you want to do some further reading, because it's fun, Psalm 148 speaks about all creation pointing back to God. I found this quote where it says that creation reflects the creator and we give voice and join creation in worship. We get to formulate those words of thanks, of praise to God. Because the fact is, back to your Genesis readings, each of us are made in the image of God. And again, in Psalm 148, it speaks about just by being, just our very existence is an act of worship to God. The fact we are here. And then it goes on. If you go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 31, or Luke 12, verse 7, this is where it speaks about the depth of relationship, not just between creation and God, but between humanity and God. And it's a line, Matthew 10, 31. Has anyone found it? Or do we have to read it out? Check you're actually looking it up. Thank you. Could you do Luke 12, 7? Thank you. So, poor sparrows, but let's face it, they have a great lifespan and they're quite small. The fact is, God creates and loves them, but how much more does God love us? And that is basically what I want to say about creation. I'm happy to have further conversations. There might be people really angry. I'm happy to chat. That's great. But I now want to talk about fall, the fall. Um, I've ummed and about the fall. Um, there's many different angles that people go at it. Some people, normally men, just like to blame Eve, um, saying she ate the apple, so it's her fault. Spoiler alert, Adam was stood right next to her um, when she ate it, so, you know, both just as bad. Um, 
But the awkward reality is that people are not always good. I think sometimes when we put a lot of theological jargon on stuff, we talk about sin. I personally get annoyed because I think it's too ambiguous. I don't know what you're actually talking about. But if you boil it down, the reality is people are not always good. Romans chapter 7 verse 15 is um, it's just a great verse from St. Paul. And he, he just says this, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And hate can be a strong word, but sometimes I definitely get the vibe more often than not. I shared last week, I went to go see the Red Hot Chili Peppers on Wednesday, had to get it in. Yeah, there you are, everyone. And I love the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're massively shaped uh, the way I think about music, how I play, and some bad choices. But the fact is, it was the third time I've seen them. I was so excited. And then I hit horrendous traffic. It was in Manchester where I used to live as well. And I wasn't paying attention. I was actually listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers just to get me all fired up. Um, And suddenly, I start recognizing where I am. It's just this flipping road that is notorious for bad traffic. And in a moment, I thought, it's fine. I thought of John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Those of you who haven't read it, you should read it. It's all right, don't worry about it. And suddenly I thought, but I'm late, and my cousin's waiting for me there, and what if I miss Thundercat, who was opening, who was very good? And before I know it, I literally started shouting at my sat-nav. By the way, it's not clever. It's an old one as well. It's not very bright. I'm shouting at it, filled with rage. The fact is, not proud of it. I'm sharing it slightly embarrassed. I have asked for forgiveness. I think I've got it. But the fact is, you may want to use Adam and Eve as a starting block. We tend to draw on Adam because he's mentioned once in Romans. Um, But to be honest... All we have to do nowadays is read the news. Could stop there. Or somebody told me to dig a bit deeper into companies that I like. Brewdog at the moment. It's not really looking very good. The problem is you look at companies that we like. It doesn't take very long before you find a bedrock of injustice, greed, and discrimination. I've realized that we do choose to turn away from God, but God never turns from us. That's what we get to remember in the Eucharist, in the communion, in the Lord's Supper, whatever you call it. There's a line where it says in one of the prayers that even when we were still far off, you sent your son to save us. The fact is we'd reached rock bottom where we couldn't do it on our own. I remember years ago when I was a curate in Manchester again, I was chatting to this lady who'd been going through um, the AA um, process and she was a recovering alcoholic. And she was adamant that she didn't need God to start with. And she said, I don't need God because I've got kids. I've messed up, but I've got two kids. I've got a daughter. I've got a little boy who's only two. He was super cute. Don't know what he's like now. Super cute. And she was like, but I don't need God. Because all I need to do is remember who I'm doing it for. And it's for my kids. And she said she's never felt such pain like it when two months later, she just fell off the wagon again. 
and she was crying, she was drinking, and she just realized she could not do it on her own. She had hit the absolute rock bottom. And I honestly don't think that the fall, that creation, the Bible, God is about making us feel guilty, feeling bad. What he's saying is, I've seen what you've already done, but I want to welcome you and draw you to me to make you a better person, to make you the fullness of who I've called you to be. The fact is, we might be made in the image of God, but St. Irenaeus who says that we grow in the likeness. And the way you become more like someone is to spend time with them. I just want to share a little story before I come into close. Um, and it's kind of a children's explanation of what Jesus did. And uh, I don't want to stand on the toes of incarnation and um, all the rest of it because Jim or I will be doing it. But the fact is, we do not deserve what happened. And this was sent to me when I was, I was only just died in secondary school and it was called the farmer and his geese and basically there was this farmer and he had geese anyway what a surprise and the geese were loving spring and they were loving summer they were walking around they were pecking at the dirt doing whatever geese do poo a lot stop in the middle of the road and honk at you and be really scary but then autumn comes along and it's getting colder and the farmer's starting to panic a little bit because he's realized every time he goes out to the geese, even just to feed them, even just to do something good for them, they scatter. They flap around, they honk, and they run away. And finally, winter comes. And by then, he's built this barn which would keep them warm and it would keep them covered. And he's looking out at his geese and he's thinking, these geese need to get into this farm. So again, he goes out. And he tries putting his arms out, getting down low, and all they do is scatter and fly away. And he realized that the only way he could communicate with these geese was if he could be a goose himself. Because if he can become a goose himself, he can talk to them, he can approach them, they can understand him, and they will be able to follow him. I'm not calling Jesus a goose. It's not even being recorded, so it's fine, I could do. But the fact is, that is like a child's understanding that I still draw on to try and get my head around what God did as Jesus. Jesus came down not just to tell us more stuff. We've got an Old Testament full of God telling people more stuff just being passed down and tweaked. But Jesus came and he walked the walk. He showed us that our perfect life following God is always going to clash with the world. I don't know if you've ever read Plato. I'm sure most of you have. Um, and he's got a book uh, called The Republic. And in there, he has a hypothetical story of the perfect man. And it was written in ancient Greece, so before Jesus was born. And Plato basically says, if a man was to ever come down and live the perfect life, always show kindness, always be generous, always look to the other, Plato, I would say, prophesied that he would be crucified. And that's what we remember when we come and share the bread and wine. We remember that perfection, that following God 
is always going to kick against creation for now. That is part of the fall. What I also love is that we get to say a prayer at the start of communion, not always, but sometimes, where it draws this relationship a little bit closer between creation and God, you and me, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he says this, As the grain once scattered in the fields, and the grapes once dispersed on the hillside, and now reunited on this table in bread and wine, so, Lord, may your whole church soon be gathered together from the corners of the earth into your kingdom. Reunited on this table in bread and wine. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. What a wonderful name it is when he says that we have to eat bread and drink wine to remember him. Grain that was scattered in fields and grew worships God and comes together. The vines that were planted and the grapes that grow and turn into wine are gathered together. Creation gives back to the Father in worship. All creation points to Jesus. And we join in with the worship around the Lord's table. And remember, I come from the dust and the universe was made for me. I come from the dust. The universe was made for me. You are all loved and you are all invited to receive this bread and wine that we'll share now. Amen. So I'll just invite the band to come on up, please. I invite you to stand as we prepare to share this bread and wine together. <clears throat> 